Let's pray. Father, I know, I think all of us um, in life have those experiences where we lose faith. We lose faith in maybe someone else who we've trusted and loved. Someone may lose faith in us. But I just want to reiterate again, we are grateful and thankful that you are the same, always, yesterday, today, and forever. Help us to learn to continually place our confidence in you. And even as we at times lose faith and seek to grab hold of things in our own strength, God, would you teach us again? to continue to put our faith in you, a faithful God. Take these words, I pray, this morning. And by your Spirit, we say, come, Spirit, enliven them. May they live and breathe into the very very depths of our being, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was about 18 years ago. It was on a Saturday night. It was prior to a fall Sunday morning kickoff. So here I am as a pastor senior pastor of the church, and I was really excited about that next Sunday morning in the fall, and I had been praying, and I had been, for, for many years, I should let you know, through college and through times in, in those early years in my ministry, I'd been reading about the works of God, the demonstration of His power, and, and the way that God shows up where you go, it's only God, unmistakably God. You know, if a reporter came and looked, they would go, yeah, these people aren't what is causing what's happening here. And I was praying that way, and I was saying, God, I'm just asking that you would show up in my ministry in a way. Would you show up in a way that's unmistakably, undeniably the works that only you can do? Eighteen years ago, I was praying that. I was asking God at that time at a church in the West that he would impact this Western area. And as I was praying, I began to turn to Scripture and I turned to one passage, Isaiah 54. I really hadn't planned on turning there. It was by almost mistake. In fact, I thought I was going to another passage and I just wanted to memorize it to just get this in my heart. And, and what I turned to is Isaiah 54.1 and I started reading it and I'm thinking to myself, is this really what I'm supposed to be reading? And Because and, it starts out, it says, Single barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor. And I'm thinking, I haven't been either of those. Because more are the children of a desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. And I began to get it, and God so impressed on me as I was memorizing that, that, really that chapter, especially those first few verses at that time, that he was saying, Kevin, I hear your heart. I, I, I understand this dream, this longing that you have. And he was basically affirming it, giving this passage of Scripture as an anchor for my heart to hold on to. I want to share with you, some of you have had experiences like that. If you're maybe new to this and you're going, I don't understand this whole church thing, and you, you understand, you know, maybe even thinking about the, what it means to be spiritual. There is a God, a living God, who speaks to us through His Word, and through His Word at times when He, he takes the things that he's, 
He's placed in every human being hungers, longings that are his, that he wants to purify, which are dreams that we have. And, and, and as I was praying that out, he gave me that word. He has done that for some of you. And it's like an anchor. So 18 years ago, he places this anchor in my soul. And the next morning, Sunday morning, I was excited about the next morning because we had actually asked as a guest to come to share her story. And her name was, uh, she was a new anchor woman to the Twin Cities. And I had found out that she had a relationship with Christ and invited her. Her name was Diana Pierce. In our little church of 200 people, that Sunday morning, 700 people came. There was not enough places to park cars. There were not enough seats for people to be seated. It was this incredible experience. And I walked out of there that morning and I went back home and, and just and my car ride home cried. And I just praised God and I thought, the dream's beginning. And then I learned at that point that the dream was beginning but not as I conceived it. God began to work in my heart and my life through those years to begin to purify so that the selfish parts of that dream would be put aside. The parts of the flesh, the parts of me that I felt needed to make it happen, He was going to begin to basically crucify and remove. Incredibly painful. I can tell you at a certain point in my experience, there was a time when I sensed the dream had died and then I realized it wasn't the dream, the longing in my heart that had died. But what had happened was God had broken the flesh, the part of me, that part of me that was connected to the dream. Why did I tell you all this? Because Galatians chapter 4 quotes Isaiah chapter 54 verse 1. And as we come to this passage of Scripture, Paul is seeking one last time to convince these people that they are to walk according to grace, that they were to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that they could live freely in the presence of God and through relationship with Him, so that as the Spirit began to pour through their lives, they would be living lives no longer under the law, trying to abide by that so that God would approve them, but the law by the Holy Spirit would begin to express Himself through love, and that love would touch other people, and that that love would show itself through the kind of things that we or they couldn't do with their own flesh, their own strength. They would actually be giving birth to the works of God that you see in Acts where there are miracles and signs and wonders and, and people are, are, are amazed at the love that's in this community. Man, I, that's my dream. It's God's dream, really. And Paul wants them to know this, so he begins in chapter 4, verses 21 through verses 31, one last time to convince them. It is one of the most difficult passages in Scripture. In fact, at one point in Peter, chapter, uh, the second book of Peter, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he, he, he actually makes this point. He says, there's letters that Paul writes that contain some very hard things to understand. This is one of them. Okay? The reason it's difficult is because it refers to the Old Testament. It refers to some stories and people that sometimes people aren't that familiar with. It refers to Abraham and Sarah and to Hagar and to Ishmael and to Isaac and to Mount Sinai and to Jerusalem. It's difficult because he's using a form of argument that we're not as familiar with today. 
He's actually using a, a form of argument that was very, it was beginning to become very popular in the rabbinic schools of that day. In fact, a few years later, a school called Alexandria began to, um, this was the main form of argument that they had. And so Paul was basically, I think, finally at this last point saying, okay, I will even argue as those rabbinic Jews who are among you are arguing. I will use an allegorical argument. And that's what makes it difficult because it's allegory. And he's basically saying to them, I will do everything I can, and here is the last way I will even argue in this way, to help you understand that you need to move from the, the elementary principles, the, the ABCs of religious rule-keeping. That's what he says in chapter 4, verse 9 of Galatians. He says, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how in the world could you turn back to those weak, those ineffective, miserable, that keep you impoverished, Principles, those literally the ABCs going back to your childhood so that you're underneath this taskmaster and lawkeeper. He's so fierce that they're going to actually step into faith and, and have a spiritual rebirth, but then choose to go back into a second childhood and never grow up and be fully mature in Jesus. So in verse 19, he, he, he moves from being this logical teacher and this rabbi to now being this parent. And as a parent, he says in verse 19, my dear children, for whom I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. till you move out of this childhood, don't return to it. You've been in it. Graduate to the spirit and to grace and the fulfillment of, of living in the promise of God's constant provision. And so we're going to look this morning really only at Galatians chapter four, verses 21 through 27. And I have to share with you, I've wrestled with this all week in delivering this because I'm sharing some real personal things as I start to share what happened in my heart 18 years ago. This, is, this, this chapter in verse of Isaiah 54 is one of the most personal words of God to me. And I just love that it's embedded in the story. Listen to what it says in verse 21. Tell me. You who want to be under the law, you want to live, if you're going to look at these two realms, you can either live under the realm of God's love and grace that comes by the power of His Spirit and His promise to provide based on nothing that you do except for the fact that you respond to it in faith. Or you who want to live under the law. So he says, tell me, you who want to live under the law, in the realm of the law, are you not aware of what the law says? He's not talking here mainly about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the Torah, the five books of Moses. That's why he'll go back in a minute to Abraham as we look at this. He says, but if you who want to live under this, this system that was meant to lead you to mature faith, if you want to stay in the ABCs, let me just one last time share with you that God never intended this. This was not the purpose of the Old Covenant. The purpose of the Old Covenant was always to lead to this fullness. And I have to share with you, one of my, my big concerns of the church today is that there are many people who have stepped into this through a salvation experience, understanding that Jesus is their only provision, acknowledging their sin, leaving that, understanding that the only way that they can come into the holy presence of God is through repentance and through a rebirth of the Holy Spirit. And they move into this place, but then they live their life in these miserable, ineffective, impoverished expression of your own strength and in your own abilities. And I fear 
I fear that often much of the church, even in America, lives that way. We do all that we can because the flesh is not about just stealing and about lying and about breaking the law of God. The flesh that God wants to rid of us is even all of our own abilities in our own strength, through our own wisdom, through our own resources to glorify Him. That sounds strange. But He wants to take away all the kind of things that we're trying to do in our own strength because He understands this truth that Paul wants every person to understand. Flesh gives birth to flesh. And it will always lead to frustration. Spirit gives birth to spirit. And it always births the works of God. So that's why he begins and he starts this passage of Scripture. And he starts here and he says there are two realities. You can live in one of two realms, this realm or that realm, by the flesh or by the spirit, by your own resources, by your own strength, by your own wisdom. You can even actually seek to follow God through your own strength, through your own wisdom, through your own resources. Or you can choose to accept the grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and learn to begin to use all of your abilities in a way where you're totally dependent upon his resources and his strength to do it. And to do this is not easy. Everything in our culture, everything in our family of origin, everything about us resists us. And they don't mix. So in Galatians chapter 4, verse 24, he finally, he says to him, and let's go back to verse 22. Here's the historical part before the allegory. He says, it's written, here's the history. Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, flesh, and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in an ordinary, natural, physical way. But his son by the free woman was born result of a promise that God would provide, that it would be by his Holy Spirit, that it would be a supernatural work, that it would be an extraordinary work. It would be a spiritual work, not a physical, natural, ordinary thing. And you can choose to live in two of these camps. You need to choose who your mother is. Now, to a a good Jew, for Paul to say this, who says, I'm living by the law, and now he begins to explain. He says, if you want to live to the old covenant, here's your mom. The law is natural and flesh, and Hagar is your mother, the slave woman. But wait a second, I've been physically said this. No, I'm not talking about physical stuff. I'm talking about spiritual stuff now. He goes, if you want to live in the old covenant, you find that the son that is born is Ishmael by the flesh. And earthly Jerusalem is in bondage. On the other hand, here's the other side, the new covenant. It is of grace by the Spirit, by Sarah, the free woman, and Isaac, who was born by the promise, the Spirit. And we're not talking about a Jerusalem that's physical, but we're talking about a Jerusalem that is spiritual, a heavenly place where God's people exist and live. Those are the two things. Those are the two. And in a sense, he's really saying to them, You need to understand, who is your mother? Are you one who will be born by Sarah and by grace? Or are you going to choose to stay under the law in this realm? And if you do, I mean, can you see how insulting this is to the Jews saying, he's going, wait a second, he's he's actually almost trying to insult them back in here. So if there are two realms, let me share with you this. Getting back to what I said a second ago, people can come to a place. In fact, the old covenant, the law, whether you have been in a church or not, God has set up this world in such a way that if you pay attention to your heart, you will find 
that through your own strength, your own efforts, through all your seeking to please God, to be good enough to make it on your own, never measure up. If you look at the standard that was set by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, it should always lead you to a place where you find that you are spiritually barren, that you don't have it, that you, in this old covenant, living by this, you come to a place where you're on your knees before God and say, God, would you, by your grace and mercy, touch me? And if you're in that place, God says, not only will I touch you, just look in Scripture what I did. I actually did a huge work for you through Jesus Christ. I did all the work so you don't have to do it. All you have to do is trust it, believe it, and move into this place. But here's what I'm afraid of, and here's what Paul was afraid of, is that people, once they move into this place, they understood there were two realms. There were some who were choosing to live here. And he says, you know what, folks? Not only two realms, but you have two choices always, every day in which realm you want to live in. Every day. The life by the Spirit is the life Paul was calling the Galatians to. The life by the Spirit is what Jesus sought to model with his disciples. Honestly, read through the Gospels and you read the three years that Jesus spent with the disciples. It is constantly, he's not trying to just get them intellectual information. He is trying to get them to move from a life depending on their own strength, their own resources, their own abilities, to move into a life by the Spirit, which was demonstrated by miracles and healings and this incredible grace and love. And he was constantly trying to move them to this place. Sometime read Mark chapter 6 through chapter 8. It's the story of the two loaves. It is a classic example of Jesus trying to move his disciples from this camp to this camp. That they would come to a place of barrenness and realize they needed to depend on the resources of God. And he was seeking always to train them to do this. And I believe that's what Paul is doing to these Galatians. And the best way he could illustrate it was through the life of Abraham. Isn't it wonderful? He says... All you need to do, if you really want to go back and understand this, is go back to the five books of Moses, the Torah, the law. And you will see, and he one-ups them. Instead of, he says, instead of, of Moses, just let's go back about a, you know, a thousand years or so. And you'll see in Abraham, you'll see about 500 years, you'll see in Abraham these two realms. And you'll see God was training Abraham and using him as an example of how we move into this realm and live by this realm. So let's do that. Genesis chapter 12. It begins with a promise of God coming to Abraham. Abraham, I think, could have been like me on the porch saying, God, I want you. I long for you. I seek you. I want your blessing in my life. Can you imagine him praying? And then God comes to him and says, Abraham, I hear you. You've got to leave this place you're living in and follow me. Sound a little bit like Jesus to the disciples? I hear, I see the inner longing in your heart. I see you guys approaching me. I see in you this desire to follow me. So leave all and what? Follow me. So you come to Genesis chapter 12 and he says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land. I will show you. Follow me, basically. And then he says, You know, with regard to this blessing... One of the things that was a dream, a heart desire for Abraham was to have a child, an heir who would, who would someday grow up and then they would have children and they would have children and his line would be continued to descend throughout history. 
He and Sarah long for that. He's 75. She's barren, unable to give birth. And he's praying, God bless me. And God comes to him and says this. Not only will I bless you, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. And I'll bless you. And I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I'll curse you. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he set out. That gives some of you hope. 75 years old. You talk about a dream that should have died with regard to kids. And can you imagine he comes back to Sarah and he goes, Sarah, this is really cool news. I'm out praying. I'm under the stars. I'm praying to God. And I know the great spirit God in the sky. I know he, he spoke to me. He said, he's going to bless me. We're going to have kids. And she's going, okay. And he goes, but we got to move. Well, they move. They move and follow the Lord. And a number of years come, go by. And you go to Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After he's been following the Lord for a while. It says in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield. You're a I'm your shield, your very great reward. And the word rewards brings up into his mind again, God, I thought you were going to bless me when I have a kid. So Abraham says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus. He's not even one of my lineage. And there's almost a sense of, you know, God, I appreciate that. I remember your word, but, you know, I'm okay with you being a shield, but I was really hoping you'd bless me with a kid. And uh, then the word of the Lord comes to him again. He says, this man will not be your heir. Don't give up hope. You don't have to settle for something less. You don't have to, to live in this realm. Understand that this person you think is going to be your heir isn't going to be your heir. I have promised you, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir, will inherit it all. And God says to Abraham, I, I just want you to have a little hope. I don't need your help. You don't need to kind of figure it out by giving it to Eleazar. Thank you very much, but I am a God who can provide. Trust me. Keep following me. Believe in me. Have confidence in me. Trust that my spirit is more powerful than anything you could ever do in your own natural strength. And so, Abraham sets out. Well, verse 4, let me read verse 4 because it's kind of cool. The, Lord, the word of the Lord comes to Abraham. He says, this man will not be here, but a son coming from your own body. And then it says, he says to him, I want you to step outside your tent and look up at the heavens. Verse 5. He took him outside and said, look up to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can even count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Isn't that cool? He anchored his hope in a very visible sign. Similar to what God did to me when I read his word. And that next Sunday morning when 700 came, it was like God was saying, I just, this is a sign. And I took it as if it was going to be immediate. But God said, no, this is a sign of what I want to do and will do through what you are called to do. So then you go on in chapter 16. And now it shows in this passage of Scripture that Abraham has a little more confidence, but now Sarah is beginning to worry. So Sarah comes to him in verse 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had been born, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. 
go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Isn't that the way it is with us? We, we keep saying, okay, God, what are you going to do? And then, and then we kind of go, well, we, I guess this isn't happening, so I'll make it happen. You know, it could be that the person that you love, your children, and let's say it's an older child, an adult child, and you've been praying for them, but then you start manipulating, saying, well, I can do this, God, since you're not coming through fast enough for me. Right? Or you lose your job, and you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing, but eventually you kind of go, God, you don't seem to be providing. It's been a couple months, three months, four months. It doesn't look like you're going to provide. You said you would. I thought you would. I promised. I mean, you said you would, but I better help you out. Isn't that the way it is? Maybe you're a person, you're single, and you've been longing for companionship, and you've been wanting that. And so eventually what happens, you know that God says that He's going to provide for your needs. You, you continue to trust God. And he even gives you a promise that this is going to be true in your life, and you haven't anchored with Scripture, and yet it's still not happening. It's still not taking place. So then you begin to say, well, I'll just fudge a little bit on this, and I'll go and do this. And, and you begin to compromise your principles, and then eventually you find yourself in your flesh doing things that really frustrate the plan of God and make things worse. That's what happens here. So Abraham agrees, verse 2, to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living Canaan for 10 years, see, 10 years, nothing's happening. They're not getting any younger. Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Ten years have gone by. They're impatient. They blatantly disobey. They begin to take things into their own hands, their own flesh, and they begin to mess things up, in a sense. And finally, this is what I think is so cool, at age 99, Genesis chapter 17, age 99, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my promise to you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations and I will make you very fruitful. In fact, I will make nations of you and actually kings will come from you. Here's what God does. In this process of training us to move into the Spirit, if we're willing to move into the Spirit, He actually takes people to the point where they, in their own abilities, their own strength, their own wisdom, have no hope. They are totally hopeless fully barren. He allows for us to come if you want to live under the law and if you live under the law to the point where you have nothing in your own abilities to make it happen. And then he comes and he says, now you're ready. Barrenness in your life is a spiritual work at times. It is a work of God to cause you to understand that every route you try and take will only frustrate things. And as you begin to see that your only path, the only way that you can begin to see the work of God through and in you and begin to raise up those deep longings so that those can be fulfilled can only happen through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit living under the grace of God where you live in this understanding that His promise will be there and He will provide. 
And that's the walk of God for all His people. Every child that has ever been born on this earth, He has designed and desired that they would come to the end of themselves. He has placed eternity like a treasure in their heart, which is the longings that never die, that only God can fulfill. He unveils those. He begins to begin to purify them over time. And if you're willing to give up your sin, you're willing to turn and to leave this life of trying to do it in your own strength and manufacture what you think you need and move into this place where you bow your knee before God and say, only, only you can provide what I want. He begins to take you on a path where He teaches you your barrenness is not something to be afraid of. It's a great gift that allows for His fruit to pour through you. So here is the thing. There are two realities. Two realities. You can either live in one or the other. There are two choices every day, every moment of your life. You can either live in your flesh by your strength and your own wisdom and your own resources, or you can choose to say every day, Spirit of God, even if you've come to a place where you've accepted Him as your Savior, you now say, Spirit of God, as the Lord of my life, would your Holy Spirit begin to fill me and flow through me? A church can say that. I long for the day. I still pray for the day that God will birth His Spirit's power because the world is not looking for a better preacher who can communicate and convince a person that God is God. The world is looking for a demonstration of the power of God to do the things in their life that no one else can do. The world is looking for the love of God to come in to reach around them and so that they would know deep within them that they are secure, that He will provide for their every every need. He's looking for churches and communities that will raise their hand and say, we want you more than anything. We want you more than any of our own desires, more than any of our own habits that we've grown up. Anything. We want you more than anything this world can offer. And there's only two results. You either will produce the works of the flesh, and the flesh will only produce what is natural. But here's the reality. The spiritual work that changes the heart of a person, that reaches into their heart and causes them to become all that God wants them to happen and to do, only happens by the Spirit. The flesh produces works of the flesh. The Spirit births the works of God's Spirit. And those are the two results. That's why Paul says here in Galatians chapter 4, he's, he, he comes to this point after he draws these two realities with these two different choices that we can make. And he says, be glad, O barren woman. Who bears no children. Break forth and, and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains. Because guess what? More are the children that are born supernaturally, extraordinarily, by the Spirit of God than any that could ever be produced by any church, by any person, through their own flesh, through their own works, through their ordinary, natural ways. I sat down with a, a man, Reuben David, this last week. He's a professor at one of the uh, Christian colleges around here. And I had the opportunity to talk to him, and he, he was sharing with me the works of God that are occurring in India. He told me about his mother who was praying to Hindu gods and, and was seeking deep in her heart for the real God, but was praying to these Hindu gods, which she had grown up with from her ancestors. And as she's praying, she sees a vision of Jesus Christ. Sounds like the, the Bible, right? 
See, the vision of Jesus Christ, and she said what was remarkable for her, what got her attention was this. Jesus was speaking to her in her own language. Which is the way God always comes to every generation. He wants to reach you with their own language. So here she hears this, and she converts to Christ. And now her son is a Christian apologist who is going around the world. And, and he started telling about the works of God that are occurring there because they don't have the resources to make things happen on their own. They don't have the money. They don't have the, all these different things. He said, even our pastors have just the Bible. That's it. And then he looked at me at one point. Because I kind of said, you know, I said, why isn't God doing that here? And I knew the answer already. I talked to a, a student that I, when I was executive director at Trinity from Nigeria who was telling me about the works of God that were occurring in her area. Because she told me, um, very clearly then, she said, you know one of the reasons why this church in America doesn't see the works of God? They, one, don't believe that he can do it. And secondly, they are so full with all the resources they have, they don't need them. And then Reuben David looks me in the eye and he says to me, as I ask that question, he says, you know what? God will only go where he's deeply, desperately wanted. Doesn't God show up to barren people? God, I just need a child of 100 years of age out in the world. I need you because I can't do this. So, on August, before I became pastor here, that August, when I was wrestling with the decision to become whether I should choose, whether God was calling me here, really. I remember that August. It so happens I have a funeral that I'm to do here. Not planned at all. And it was a funeral of a young mother who had committed suicide. And this place was packed. And I didn't know what to say. And I said, God, you've got to speak through me. And God spoke. And there was this power and this presence. And here I am in Isetta, And I'm actually contemplating to be the pastor here. I remember walking off here, walking down here. And I had this impression that said, Kevin, this is what I've called you to do. And this is where you should be. And I still fought for a while, but anyway. And then a year ago, after I'd been pastor, now for a year, August of last year, August 31st, after preaching on a Sunday morning, the Sunday before another kickoff Sunday, a young lady comes up to me after the service and shares these words with me, says, I'm visiting from another place. I don't know her from Adam. She doesn't know me. And she says, I have some words that I want to share with you. She shared them with me, and I asked if she would write them and, and send them to me so I could have them. And here's what she wrote. We were visiting family and came to your church on Sunday, the 1045 service. As you began to speak, I felt the Lord give me a word of encouragement for you. That you are in a time of transition, and during this time, he is taking your dreams of the past and merging them with the dreams you have towards the future, your future. I saw this bridge that was, trans, that was connecting the past to the future, and you were standing on what looked to be the threshold of a long-awaited fulfillment of a dream. She looks at me and she says, you're about to step into destiny. I felt led to encourage you to keep going. The promise is nearer than you realize. I wrestled whether I should share this with you. Because it's so deep and personal. But it isn't for me. It's for us. And I just want to call us to say, Lord Jesus, teach us to love you and to want you and to see you in this place more than anything 
anything else. On Wednesdays, we meet once a month. This next Wednesday, we'll be meeting. We've been meeting at the noon hour, but I will be here at 6 a.m. and at noon and at 6 p.m. this next Wednesday. And anybody, this is not a guilt thing, but anybody who wants to, I just want to pray and say, God, we want you. We want you. And I just ask you to think about it. I'm going to ask you just with your head bowed, I'm going to ask Mark to come and just lead us in a chorus. I think he'll sing it first, and, and we'll just... Uh, Prayerfully just listen as he sings this first part.